What's going on, guys? Welcome to Philosophers in Mad Men with myself, Josh Moran. And I am Dave Putman. This week's guest, after a um, much-needed respite from podcasting, that's actually completely a lie. I was traveling a lot, and... um, Australia has real bad internet, so it was difficult to do <laughs> any podcasting from there. But now that uh, we're back together again, Dave and I uh, cut out some of our travel, but actually this podcast is going to be spawned because of some of our, our travels together. So uh, we went down to Wisconsin. Yeah. We went to Leardburg headquarters, which was uh, quite an experience, I have to say. For myself, at least. I know you've been there before. Yeah. But uh, to meet uh, a whole bunch of people that I look up to and, you know, have, have met via the internet, uh, it was something else. It was really cool. Yeah, no, we had a blast. We drove out there. We went down for a Chad Hunter French Ringsport seminar. So we got to hang out with Chad for a little while, and our good friend Forrest Mickey was there. And we also met today's podcast guest, Carter Wild, and that's Wild with an E at the end. Carter is a dog trainer from Baltimore, Maryland, and he is just a down-and-dirty, super-rad guy, talented dog trainer, and I personally just enjoy his perspective on things. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to have a fresh perspective and, you know, to... Uh, You'll see in or hear rather in the podcast that he he's doing some boarding trains and my man straight up thirteen by himself. Yeah, no, he's he's working his fingers to the bone for sure. Um, so, like we said, Carter is a dog trainer out of Baltimore, Maryland. He competes in, I believe, Mondial Ring. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So a little bit different than French Ring. If you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to check some of those sports out: French and Mondial Ring. Really, really high-level dog training. A lot of super, super thoughtful training goes into creating these these dogs and these tests at the trials. So it was cool to hang out with these guys, learn a bit about how to teach dogs to bite properly, how to position ourselves in a way that's going to really keep the dogs safe while they're running full speed and smashing into you, which was, you know... That was uh, tiring to say something else. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was the the fifty pound bite suits or the ninety degree heat or the hundred pound Malinois hitting your kneecaps yeah. or the dick bites. Maybe yeah, dick bites were pretty pretty prevalent, specifically with Carter's dog. So if you guys are looking to get a hold of Carter, it's at C A R T E R W I L D E on Instagram. The same CarterWild.com. And if you happen to be in the Baltimore, Maryland area, it is Charm City Canine Company, where you can get a hold of Carter, have him take your dog into his board and train program, which is actually inside his home. And in that case, your dog is not getting the traditional kennel experience, but in fact is learning how to live in a home with other dogs and a pretty pretty rad dog trainer at the same time i'm a big fan of the alliteration there yeah that's yeah. a lot of c's i'm a big fan i, I do like that we should figure something down. out with that um yeah i'm, I'm kind of i mean not right now but okay good yeah okay um some of, <laughs> some of the stuff we're trying to get set up here in the future for you folks is number one being a bit uh more Diligent with how we put out these podcasts and getting them recorded. And we're going with better. Yeah, we're gonna be better. I like that. We're yeah. gonna be better for you guys. 
Sorry for not being better right off the bat. Well, fuck you. I don't know you anyway. <laughs> uh, coming up, one of my friends I met in Australia is somebody I'm trying to get on the podcast. He's got a really, really cool thing set up for himself in Sydney, uh, right outside uh, Sydney, actually, in Dural, New South Wales. Super good guy. His name is Glenn Cook, and he is one of the... Uh, trainers who's responsible for training other trainers in a program called NDTF, which is the National Dog Trainers Federation down there in Sydney. So a super cool guy, Randy, Randy man for sure. Uh, and when he comes on here, I'm sure it'll be lots of laughs and some good conversations. With Carter, we talk, uh, you know, again, we're, we're kind of an unscripted duo here. Oh, yes. Just uh, talk dogs and anything else that tickles our fancy. If you guys have any questions, concerns, um, no comments though. None. Not many comments. If you have some hate, we'll take that. Yeah, hate's good. Yeah, we do have a Facebook and an Instagram now, we Philosophers do. and Mad Men. You guys can check us out there. But like I said, we're going to be a bit more diligent with trying to get out some of these podcasts to you guys. So thanks for hanging in there and being a rad bunch of sons of bitches. I really appreciate you listening to us talk shit. For sure. Much love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Where are you guys at right now? Dave's front porch. Or my front porch. That's nice. This yeah. is in your like super nice neighborhood with all the really friendly dogs that you live in? Yeah. I mean, there's loud barky nonsense, but you know. Whatever. It's pretty quiet now. Cause That's good. No one's home. Thankfully, no, no. I've got I've got a couple of a couple of hounds laying around here. Yeah. Um, Some of your boarding trains. Yeah, man, it's a full house, full house right now. I've got um, let's see, one, two, three, seven, nine, nine, nine dogs. I think right now. Uh, that's including my two. Um, yeah, it's a full house, man. <laughs> it's a little bit stressful. Yeah, no shit, man. Currently. Doing some work. Yeah. Are they all there for uh, uh, board and train or some just boarding? Um, I basically only offer one service. Um, that being said, like, the emphasis goes on training for all the dogs that are here, but um, specifically with the dogs who are here for their first trip. So if you want to send your dog to stay with me, um, the first time they come, they have to stay for like three weeks. Um, and then if you go on vacation or something, you're allowed to bring your dog for like a weekend or a week or something like that. Um, too hard for me to try like to manage a new dog for a week or for four days or something in my house and teach him how to go outside and teach him where the door is and yeah, uh, in, integrate him with the rest of the pack, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, plus, it's uh, way beneficial for me to like push that long board and train, just in terms of my own business. But also, like uh, what you can actually give to your clients, then you have them there for three weeks, and you can do some, some badass training in three weeks. You know? Yeah. So um, that's like basically. So that's the minimum time that I'll take a dog the first time they come here, um, and. Um, 
it, depending on uh, sometimes it's a client who I've met before and like worked with the dog before and we've got some like kind of basic obedience and some understanding of a you know a skill set um, and the dog and I have already a set of communication kind of techniques or skills that we've uh, already gone through and then um, when they get here we're working on kind of advanced obedience uh, off leash off leash work off leash healing off leash recalls um, distracted long downs things like that um, but if the dog is here for their first time and three weeks most of the time I do on leash um, so I'm not really in the business of pushing dogs faster or farther than I think is fair to them um, and I'm 99% sure that you would probably uh, you'd feel the same way um, yeah yeah, so a lot of people want to push their dog as far as they can, like, really fast. And I'm kind of the voice of reason a lot of times. Sure. Letting them know, like, hey, this is appropriate. This is a little bit too much. Um, but, yeah, three weeks is a lot of work. Uh, like, the dogs get a lot of work. Um, a lot of them get, like, two sessions a day of, like, actual obedience training. And then all the behavior stuff and, like, regular household things that go with it. That's that, awesome. I, uh, I, I was thinking about that, actually. You do the board and trains right out of your house, right? It, it's, yeah. It's nice because then the dogs can actually learn some... The house manners are built in, right? So they they have the already the rule set. Like, you know, you're on place while I'm eating dinner versus, you know, currently you're in a kennel right now because you're at a boarding facility with your training. I like the idea right. of having it at, you know, the dog. It's, a, it's more, of a, more of a personal connection with that dog. Like, you're living with me, so you, you got to behave. Yeah, I don't have, um, I don't have like, a kennel, like an outdoor kennel or even an indoor kennel. I just have, um, like, a crate room. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's where um, the board and train dogs are. They are in a separate room as far as, like, where their kennels are. Um, or crates rather uh, but but it's in my house it's right off the living area like I've got on the first floor is my office the crate room my living room the kitchen so um, if they have some super basic skills so if the dog has a like a down stay even if they need to be on leash then they're pretty much allowed to be out while I'm eating, while I'm doing things in the house, um, walking around, whatever. If they're working on a on-your-bed command, then I can work other dogs, this and that. Um, but I think that's a big selling point. Uh, it's, like, absolutely why my price point is what it is, uh, because there's a limit. Sure. So, you know, um, I'm at the limit right now, a little bit past it. <laughs> I would prefer, I'd prefer the top number to be seven, with two dogs of my own, and then five board and train dogs. That's a safe number that I can kind of rotate through and train. Um, but it is August, and everyone's on vacation, and so I get some of those dogs where there's people you can't say no to. Um, some people who have been throwing me business for a long time, some dogs that I've trained over the last couple years, and hey, they're on vacation, and there's some people that I really don't like to say no to just because of how much business they've given me and like how appreciative and gracious they are as clients. Like, I don't want to tell them no, even if I'm busy. Um, and those dogs are easier to have. Absolutely. 
like they're easier to have around. They're cool with my dogs. Uh, I let them stay free during the day and like kind of just have like a pack kind of running around the house of like, you know, older dogs that I've, that I've trained in the past. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think five, five is kind of ideal. Um, and I can, I can keep my life almost normal with that many dogs in the house. Sure. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, it just becomes your normal, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember there was actually a period of time, um, so before I, or when I, right when I started boarding and training, uh, as a, uh, or or like started offering board and trains, um, the first board and train dog that I had was, um, a dog named Virgil. And this was my buddy. He's a really, really good friend of mine now. His name's Matt. Um, and, um, Matt was doing a lot of traveling for work. He was like a military contractor, civilian contractor in the military, uh, working for the military. And, um, he would go on these like super long, like training ops. (laughs) I really, I still like think that he was lying to me the whole time. I'm like, you were totally, you went into other countries. You were doing some crazy stuff, man. Um, and he's like, no, we were in Florida. I'm like, you were in like, I don't know, South Africa doing something covert that you shouldn't have been doing. Um, but, uh, he gave me his dog for six weeks. That was my first board and train. And I charged super low rate. My, I charged him, I think $250 a week. Oh, good. Right. Um, but at the time I was charging like, I think somewhere, I think I was charging $50 for private lessons. Um, I was living in an apartment that was like not very expensive. We'll put it that way. It wasn't very expensive. It wasn't really nice. It wasn't really nice. Um, and Virgil is was or was is he's still alive? He's a uh, American Bulldog pit bull um, brindle thing, and he's horrifically dog aggressive and horrifically human aggressive. <laughs> like super cool dog like uh for me yeah um but he's the kind of dog that he'll like go to sniff at you he'll be sniffing at you sniffing at you and you'll put your hand out you'll be like oh he wants to play with me or he wants me to pet him and as soon as you go to pet him he's biting your fingers um he has, yeah. he's got a he's gotten a bunch of confirmed bites um and uh but that dog in the house with me over that period of time i got so stressed out like the first like couple weeks there that um i don't get like headaches very often but i got like a migraine and i'm convinced that it was just my stress level of having another dog in the house and uh having to manage that um and this was the first like other dog that i brought into my house it wasn't mine it was about five years ago four four years ago um and i literally um couldn't sleep because of the migraine and for like I had like a couple days where basically I was just destroyed because of this um, and then one dog became normal then two dogs became normal <laughs> three dogs became normal last August almost the entire month they had 13 dogs here and that's just me like yeah. no employees no nothing See, that's, um, that's too many for me I'd be way too stressed with that it's way too many <laughs> it's terrible yeah. it's too many um, and this year I said no more 
good. I yeah, man, that's excellent. Far. That's excellent. Yeah. <clears throat> so your business is really picking up, and that's that's always kind of like a, a nice little milestone to get to, where you can tell tell clients no, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not going to take your money. Um, yeah, I uh, business is picking up absolutely, or it has been picked up. Um, I'd say that since I started that since I started boarding trains specifically, um, I've been booked for four years straight. Cool, man. Um, so there have been like a couple days over the last four years where I have only had my own two dogs here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, business has definitely done good. And I do say no to a lot of people. Um, my initial, um, uh, my initial kind of business strategy was do as many private lessons as possible. And that was like five private lessons a day, um, driving around to different people's houses doing that. Cause I don't have, I, I didn't have a facility, um, or a place to do training besides at people's houses. Um, and I also found out that people are willing to spend more money if you come to their house too. Sure. Um, but so five, sometimes even six private lessons in a day, which is like around 10 hours of work, 10 hours out of the house. Um, and then like one board and train dog. And now I'm at the point where it'll be, um, like, you know, about five board and train dogs average. Uh, and I'll do one or two private lessons. Um, I like that system better. It's absolutely better. There's, there's nothing. <laughs> um, there's some people that really benefit from the in-home training. Uh, and I think that some of the behavior dogs, I think it's better for um, a dog that is super leash reactive or something like that. I really need the owner to understand the process. Yeah, absolutely. I really need I really need them to see uh, how much pressure is appropriate to put on the dog um, or how much um, like how much space does the dog need or you know when the dog gets uh, gets excited or aroused like when is it appropriate to apply pressure when is it appropriate to use some kind of um, distraction or food reward or this or that and if you can go through that with the handler I think that they have a better chance long term um, and you know I've taken some of those dogs in for like long periods of time um, but it ends up being just a uh, about fixing obedience problems for me when they when they're at my house. Yeah. Um, which is how I treat a lot of the uh, a lot of behavior stuff too, and it's definitely different. It seems different to me than a lot of the way that um, you work through stuff, and that's why I was trying to kind of pick your brain so much last time we were hanging out, and um, by you know I mean I'd love to see you. Uh, see you work through some problems with dogs like right there in front of me and like watch your uh, kind of body language and things like that um, because um, you seem much more comfortable letting the dogs figure it out where um, I'm, I feel like I might be more into micromanaging um, and I'd like to give the dogs more freedom at a certain point I'd like to be able to um, 
think that they'll work through it on their own. So a dog that's super aggressive for me, and um, I don't know how much like human aggression stuff you work with, but um, a dog that's uh, aggressive towards people for me, the very first thing I do is not ignore the human aggression, but basically the very first thing I do is teach the dog some obedience cues. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Sit down and don't pull on the leash, whatever. Um, and then I use those in the context of my aggression work with the dog. So now we walk into a crowded place. The dog knows what sit means. I can correct him for not sitting as opposed to lunging at a person or something like that. Um, and obviously, you can't just, like, let the dog figure it out with a bunch of people there, right? Um but uh, working with muzzles and things like that and working with, like, large groups of dogs, like, that um, is not something I do a lot of and it's something I'd like to do more of. Yeah, man. Um, which is pretty cool. Maybe I'll get a chance to come uh, come hang with you guys, although you don't really have, like, a pack going on up there right now, huh? No, not so much. Um, I'm doing some socialization, but uh, not really, like, at my house. I mean, my house is somewhat similar to yours, you know, I, I'm doing boarding trains out of my own home. I have a much lower limit than you do. Uh, I take one dog at a time, um, <laughs> but I have three dogs. My upstairs uh, neighbor has two dogs, and we live at a vet hospital essentially. So there's like dogs all over the place. But yeah, no, for my boarding train, I only take one. But you were talking about starting with obedience. That's 100% where I start because I think that not only the way I oftentimes talk about it is that it creates a common communication system, you know, a way for us to communicate to the dog in relation to their behavior through exercises we've shown them how to respond correctly to. But I think it goes a long way for also teaching the dog how to kind of work through problems. Right? So it, it teaches the dog how to persist in certain aspects of their lives that they may not be super stoked about um, and that's one of the things I like about starting with obedience is I think sometimes the concept is called eustress or like good stress the kind of thing that dad calls building character or like putting hair on your chest <laughs> type stuff. Uh, but I think that without that we're really I, there's, there's some kind of gray area in the world of training dogs I think we've all experienced if you've been involved with training dogs for any amount of time uh, there's like the big, you know, kind of five buzzwords like alpha, pack leader, dominance, dominance. you know, energy, uh-huh. stuff like that. And uh, my issue with those things is that they're they're borderline indefinable for a client. You and I might be able to have a conversation about leadership or energy and kind of know what the hell we're talking about because we're immersed in dogs for so long and it's our passion and it's something we think about a lot. But for a guy who works 9 to 5, comes home and simply wants his dog to stop biting his kid, that's not something that I can hand him in the same way I can hand him, here's how you enforce the place command. Here's how you make sure your dog walks like a gentleman or a lady. So I think it's super, super important that we're able to focus on that obedience aspect. Again, not just for the communication system, but giving the dog an opportunity to learn how to deal with some forms of stress. A lot of. Okay, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say the one thing that I'm a big fan of of preaching to a lot of people is clear expectations, and this goes along exactly with what Josh just said. You're setting clear expectations for the dog, so you're saying 
you can correct the dog for not sitting versus lunging at a person. So you're setting clear expectations to the dog that when I stop walking, you're sitting down. There's nothing else you're doing. When I tell you place or go on your bed or whatever, it's expected that you go lay down on your bed. We've shown you 8,000 times that you go over there, you get paid handsomely, no one fucks with you, no one's going to touch you, you just chill out. Clear expectations set for these dogs in every situation. Clear expectations, um, I think it's it's pervasive in in all the relationships, uh, relationship with your dog, relationship with with the client, relationship with other trainers that we kind of... when we're trying to get new information. Um, you know, as far as establishing that communication system, um, a lot of times on my first session, or the times when I meet the, meet the client at first, um, I write things down for them. Like, so I ask for a pen and a paper and I do a diagram. I write down positive and negative reinforcement, positive and negative punishment. We go through the quadrants. And as long as they have... Um, as long as they have some interest in it, right? So I gauge their interest. If I can tell that they're going to be, um, like you said, just like, hey, I just want my dog to stop biting the kids. Like, I don't care, whatever, you know. <laughs> then I'm, maybe I'll just show them how to give, like, a proper correction, and I'll be on my way. But with someone who I can tell is interested, as soon as I start to tell them about it, and they maybe they ask a small question, they're like, oh, is that, you know, is positive reinforcement when you, you know, give your dog a treat or when you pet him on the head or right you know that's what it is right and um then maybe i'll go a little bit further and start talking about expectation of reward in different activities or maybe how to create a reward marker and maybe why i use the specific reward marker i use and then you know we can geek out on a million different like psycho kind of psycho principles um that are super super interesting to me and i'm I think uh, health in a healthy way obsessed yeah, uh, with them. For sure. Um, and if if a client is interested in them, I find that they do better uh, in terms of follow through. Um, but uh, not everybody's going to get it, and not everybody wants to or needs to. Like you said, um, just show me how to make the dog not jump on people. You know. Um, and it does become more important, I think, when you have a really serious behavior problem to explain the how and the why and to have clear expectations. Um, let somebody know this is not a dog that you can ever have free around kids. Sorry, you know, he's not. <laughs> this is not a dog that, well, like, I get this question all the time. I'm sure you do too. When will we be able to? go to the dog park? Uh, when will we be able to not have her on the leash when guests come over? When will we be able to? And it's like, I don't think you understand. I'm going to teach you how to manage this situation. I'm going to teach you how to be in like um, in constant awareness or constant hyper-awareness. Yeah. And I'm going to beat it into you like verbally, like lash out <laughs> at you every time you mess up and just hope that you can hold it together enough that you don't have an event in the future that is, you know, bad. Um, I think that's important to talk about too because <clears throat> there's 
dog training is something for me that obviously, you know, the three of us are, are pretty immersed in, and as you said, obsessed about, you know, it's something that I, I think about all the time and it's, it's what we've all made our livelihoods and not just, uh, to make a dollar. You know, we, most of us get into dog training because it's something that we grew a passion for and then decided nothing else really like makes the cut, you know, like this is what I got to do. Uh, but I do tend to find, and that kind of goes hand in hand with what I was talking about, some of those you know, kind of magic words people use. You know, I, I hear some dog trainers talking about energy, and it's a bit of a tangent, and that kind of bothers me a bit. And it bothers me not because I think it's wrong to have a discussion about energy. I think, however, from the standpoint of an educator, it's wrong to try and talk to a layman about energy, which is an indefinable term, and it doesn't give anybody really any technical skills that are gonna help them solve their dog's issues. Uh, so energy, alpha, pack leader, stuff like this. For a lot of dog trainers, those are, are some of the big red flags, you know? You know, people say, well, like, well, my dog area. knows I'm the alpha. You know, he knows I'm the leader. Like, okay, well, uh, maybe. <laughs> but I think there is a, a certain degree of kind of wishy-washiness with, with dog training. And, and part of that, as far as I'm concerned, is the idea that every single dog, no matter what the issue, is going to get to a point of which can be treated like the dream dog that you don't have to worry about when company comes over you can take wherever you want dog park included and you're just gonna you know hey training's done now my dog is just a dog you know uh, I think that's something that people don't really talk about enough and I don't think that sometimes some people are clear enough with their clients about hey like this is a reality you have a dog that's bitten 19 people stop letting him just run loose and do whatever he wants like it's ridiculous uh, so I, it, it's it's something I'm really happy to hear you talk about that, that you have discussions like that with your clients because I think that's super, super uh, important shit. to be able to have those types of discussions and give clear expectations. Um, you know, I don't know what your thoughts on it. You know, obviously, if you're having those those conversations, uh, you have to have at least some similar thoughts on it. But Oh, yeah. No, I think that the way you described it is really good, but I also I think that yeah, that word, that energy word, and alpha and things like that, um, we hear that stuff all the time, hear it all the time from um, every average dog owner. Mm -hmm. uh, and average dog owner includes, I hate to say it, people who have been training their dogs for years and years, you know, like that you're just you haven't done enough research you're you're not up to date um and there's a lot of information that has been like gathered and like transcripted and you know translated and all sorts of uh from in the last 20 years that many 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 people just don't know about sure um and if you say the word alpha mostly what people are talking about is like one study that was done on captive, unrelated wolves. They took a bunch of wolves that were didn't know each other. They threw them all in a enclosure and then monitored how they interacted with each other. Um, and when they decided um, 
when they decided that um, you know they'd seen enough, I guess they kind of made up these different uh, kind of pack structures and pack orders and this and that. And uh, we know now that most uh, wolf packs are families um, and are generally not more than um, not more than two unrelated males in that group. Um, and that the majority of them are uh, young wolves that are prodigy of the older pair, the mating pair, um, and maybe like one hang around who's like probably pretty submissive because I guess that's just uh, that's how it works out for them in the <laughs> wild. But the other thing I tell people is your dog is not a wild wolf. <laughs> So if you are trying to base, like, how you live with your dog in the same way that wild wolves live together, you're doing your dog a great disservice. That is not how they see the world. That's not what they see. Um, And so I don't... um, you know, I don't use I don't use that word in my description of how you need to be with your dog. I don't ever use the word alpha. And very, 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 very rarely would use the word energy, unless um, <laughs> unless I'm talking about unless I'm talking about perhaps the dog's energy and how uh, the dog's energy might be um, kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in a different circumstance. I think probably nervous energy is probably the only energy I'm going to talk about. Um, and it's because people don't see it. Sure. They look at the dog and they're like, um, you know, they think that their dog is content and happy and this and that. And I'm looking at the dog and I can tell that the dog is uncomfortable. And how do I know the dog's uncomfortable? Because I've seen these things displayed in dozens and dozens of dogs in the exact same space with the open mouth panting and her tail is at mid height and she's not looking at anything in particular and this, and they're like oh I thought she was just tired so, no, like, <laughs> we've only been standing outside for five minutes like why is your dog like open mouth panting and like staring at like a you know a tree you yeah. know um, but um, so I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of um <laughs> kind of the backward way that people describe these things. And if you and I have a common language as trainers, perhaps we've read some of the same things, we've talked to some of the same people, we at least know what some of the basic things mean, what um, what reinforcement and, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. the rest of the uh, quadrants mean. Um, but, yeah, you got to let people know what their expectations or if their expectations are realistic or not. I do, um, I mean... A lot of people that aren't even clients will ask me just for fun. They say, you know, have you ever had a dog, met a dog that you couldn't train? Have you ever, are there any dogs that you can't train, right? And absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's dogs, there's, there are behaviors that no matter what type of reinforcement you put behind it, what time of, what type of punishment you put behind it, the behavior is not changing. Maybe due to genetics maybe due to just the sheer force of habit that's already been ingrained in that dog. It's unrealistic that we're going to be able to put the type of, um, you know, counter conditioning into play that would actually make a difference. Um, yeah, you got to let people know. Or the behavior requires such a high level 
of aptitude that the average dog owner is just not going to be able to perform that task on a consistent enough basis that it causes the correct change in behavior. Right? So, like, yeah, I'm right with you, man. That's a there. It's probably one of the most common questions you get as a professional dog trainer. Is like, oh, you ever met a dog that you can't train? Like, yeah, no, absolutely. They're they're real things, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you ever met a person you can't talk to? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I have. Uh, I had a, a pretty bad experience about a dog that couldn't get trained, actually. Um, and I don't know if you and I talked about this before, but our second family dog um, was a dog named Jackson. Um, and um, Jackson was a rescue. Uh, he was like kind of a shepherdy kind of mix. Um, and uh, my dad used to say he was part, uh, part alligator. Um, because uh, he was super low to the ground. He had, like, super short legs. We used to think maybe he was, like, German Shepherd Basset Hound. Um, but so, like, a I corgi? Also, <laughs> yeah. A corgi with a German Shepherd I was just going to say that. I also don't think I'd ever seen a corgi before that. And I think he <laughs> might have just been, like, a really big corgi. <laughs> okay. But, like, he had a super long tail, and he was probably about 65, 70 pounds. So probably not, like, a full corgi. Um, but Jackson was a sweetheart, uh, to the family. Okay. And, um, he wasn't like a super challenging puppy. He was really great with obedience. We took him to the, uh, the SPCA to the shelter for obedience lessons and things like that. And somewhere around, um, a year and a half old, I think he bit someone for the first time. Um, and it was on a walk, like somebody just reached down to pet him and he bit them. All right, that was weird. I don't know why he did that. You know, at the time I was probably uh, 13, 13 years old. Um, and my dad told me the instructions that I had from my father were, don't let anybody touch the dog when you take him out on a walk. Good instructions, good management, good management technique. Even if he knew good training, he shouldn't have been asking a young a young kid to do the training, right? So that was that was a good thing for him to say, in my opinion. That was correct. Um, what he also told me though was that we know about now about leash pressure, but uh, he said when you're passing by somebody or another dog, hold him really close to you. Okay, so he's on a pinch collar. We had a pinch collar on him, and we'd walk by dogs, people, and I would pull the dog close to me on, like, you know, like six inches worth of leash and pull him super tight to my leg and drag him past the other person and dog. So guess what behavior developed? We start <laughs> passing people and dogs. He starts lunging and barking, okay? So I did this perfect storm. I created, possibly created leash aggression on a dog that was already genetically predisposed to having these these kind of re reactions towards other people and dogs um somewhere around uh maybe the dog's like probably around three or four years old at this point he's bitten 10 people um when people come over to the house he goes in the basement he's not having any interaction with people um when <clears throat> Uh, when we pass people on the street, you hold the leash super tight, whatever, okay? So all of the wrong things, everything wrong with this dog, and not receiving any kind of reinforcement that he needed, and um, 
I just wanted to love him. <laughs> so I would come home after school and lay on the floor with this dog for hours. That's just that's what I did. Um, and, uh, you know, take him on walks. We'd go rollerblading around the neighborhood. Like, he was pretty much my dog. If a 14, 15-year-old can have a dog, he was yeah. my dog, right? Um, he ended up biting the mailman really bad, like really bad. Put him in the hospital, put him out of work for a while, and he he sued the he sued the homeowner or he sued my he sued my parents and the homeowners paid for it. Um, it was something crazy like three hundred grand that the homeowners insurance paid this guy. Damn, good God. Yeah, so they said to my dad, "Get rid of the dog, or you don't have homeowners insurance anymore." Um, and they put the dog to sleep. Right. While I was I was out at a friend's house, spent the night at a friend's house, like, and I called him the next morning and asked him, "Hey, can you take Jack on a walk? I, you know, I can't get back, whatever." And this was by the time I was about, I think I must have been 18 years old at this time. Um, and uh, I was completely destroyed, man. Totally destroyed. It was absolutely the biggest like heartbreak, the biggest pain I've ever ever experienced up until that point. And that included, you know, family dying, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was obviously uh, I was really angry. I was super distraught. I went on a bender. <laughs> sure. Went on a bender for a couple of days. Didn't go home. Um, but uh, you know, eventually I. Uh, Eventually, I forgave my father, and you know, um, I got Spike really soon after that. But uh, you know, when I look at that dog now, I could have I could have worked him through that stuff. Sure. You know, like that wasn't a dog that um, it wasn't a dog that he wasn't a Cujo type dog. He wasn't a he wasn't like a he wasn't just a a bad dog he just had all the wrong input and I had none of the information and that is exactly what I've experienced when I've walked into houses with people and I say man I could work with that dog I could fix that dog if he came to live with me for the next six months he'd be great yeah but what's the likelihood that this person that this owner is going to be able to do that that's like the saddest, most terrible part of my job, you know, um, is knowing that somebody's going to have, they're going to take a dog like that. They could probably be fixed or not fixed, but could be managed. Mm -hmm. uh, that dog's going to end up getting put down, you know. So do you, you, you've had the conversation like, look. I don't know necessarily if this dog is a good match for you. Like, you'll, you will tell people that, right? Well, uh, I actually, no, I haven't had that conversation with people. No? Um, I have mostly because I think it's super unrealistic that I get someone find, to give their I, dog I find somebody else who's a right match for that dog like nobody's sure. a right match for that dog a lot of times <laughs> like a lot of times I actually when people say that when they're like well maybe I could find somebody who is um, single who doesn't have kids who doesn't have dogs who da 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 whatever and I usually my ex exact response to them is <clears throat> don't find the uh, um, don't find another place for your dog. Make your place the right place for your dog. 
Awesome. Or, yeah, or you're going to have to... I really don't ever like to tell people that they got to put their dogs in sure. sleep. Sure, well, for sure. I, I wouldn't suggest that, you know, putting yeah. the dog down. But, but I just yeah. tell them, you need to do this. You need to work through this. You need to do these management solutions. You need to have the... You know, you need to have the forethought to not put your dog in these positions so that you know your dog's going to bite somebody if you allow them the freedom to do it. It's now your responsibility to make sure that that never happens again. Right. And let me give you as many tools as possible to make your life manageable for the next 10 years or whatever, however long this dog lives. What's going on, It wants to eat people. Just recording a podcast. No, I think that's a, a pretty pretty solid piece of information. I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of a lot of dogs out there that uh, you know, kind of as we talked about, you or I could live with and, and work with. And the dog's going to be relatively hunky dory, but uh, long term, is that going to be something that somebody who's working a full time job that's not as a dog trainer, who's you know coming home from work and they want to be able to just have their kids' friends come in the door without knocking, things like that. You know, those are, are situations that, yeah, you got to have some some real deal conversations about management. I think that's important. They want a casual relationship with their yeah. dog. Yeah, man, for sure. That's so, actually has become like a big uh, a big part of how I um, how I pitch my business, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> which I focus almost all of my atten- uh, my attention and energy on puppies. Yeah. So, <laughs> cool. um, if, um, because like you mentioned earlier, I have enough of a field, uh, where people, enough people contact me that I can kind of pick and choose which clients I want to work with. Um, and I'm just, really grateful for that like really happy that I've gotten to that point um but what I'll do is um in my mind I'll make a choice do I spend my time and energy training with a person who um has waited three years when until they've got like a serious problem um and to call a trainer or if I only have one hour to give these people, do I train that dog or do I train the guy who calls me when his dog is eight weeks old? And I can put the work into that dog over the next year or so. And when those little problems crop up, I know exactly what to do in that moment so that the dog continues to develop properly. It's a thousand times um, easier to deal with those young dogs too. They don't have as much reinforcement for some of the stuff that you know the the average dog owner is going to want us to combat so no nah, man that's that's killer you're living the, the goddamn dream like everybody you talk to who wants to be a, a doctor is like i love puppies you know <laughs> so <laughs> i'm all for it dude so yeah. i got a little bit sidetracked there sorry uh, old friend walked by because again we're on my front porch and uh anyway um what you're going back to, i just want to go back for a second to the you know difficult matches you know bad matches for people and their dogs uh the one thing that one of the biggest things most important things i learned early on was love your dog for who he is you know he may not be cool with a whole bunch of people but you know what it doesn't matter you gotta love your dog and that's i think one of the most important parts of being a dog trainer is showing people that you can love your dog to an extent that you didn't know was possible 
right? Regardless of whatever issues they may have or, you know, my dog doesn't like to be held. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay, right? Neither do I. Liar. <laughs> Liar. Yeah, okay. He got me. I do love being cradled. Liar. He knows. He knows it. But, you know what I mean? Like, just explaining, like, teaching someone, having that moment where the person's like, holy shit, like, you're right. Like, like dude, it's not a big deal. So what if your dog doesn't get to go hang out at a dog park? Who the fuck cares? That's annoying anyway, right? Hanging out with a bunch of asshole dogs barking. I don't want to deal with that. Maybe your dog doesn't want to deal with that either. And that's okay. That's okay. So when we met, Carter, we met, um, and, I, and I wanted to talk about this uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, we met in Wisconsin uh, at Learburg for a Chad Hunter French Ring seminar. So it was a decoy workshop for two days. And then uh, just like an actual French Ring uh workshop from what I understand I don't know I was only there for one day because my partner in crime had to go home and work some Lame. of us have jobs <laughs> right? I'm uh, an asshole for being employed yeah. fuck me right <laughs> so uh, a couple things I wanted to talk about there um, you brought some board and trained dogs with you and I thought that was killer man that's um there's so many people who talk about wanting to travel with their dogs and, oh, I wish I could take my dog with me and go do this. And not only is that something you do for recreation, but you're also doing it as part of your business model. And I was wondering if that was something that was kind of difficult to convince people of, yeah, not only is your dog going to be staying in my care for this amount of time, but I'm also going to like drive from Maryland, where you live, to Wisconsin and hang, and hang out. And your dog's coming with me. Um, and from there, I was also wondering how you not only got into dog training, but more specifically, what kind of pushed you or drew you to French Ring? Um, well, that's awesome. So, um, first of all, we should, uh, I'll mention uh, Forrest. Um, Forrest Mickey. Yeah. Um, is, he's the real reason I was in, he's the real reason I was in Wisconsin. Um, Are you trying to say it wasn't for us? <laughs> well, it was really nice <laughs> to meet you guys there. I'm really, really glad I met you guys. Tell me um, it wasn't for us. But So Forrest has been a friend of mine for about four years uh, since I went to the Michael Ellis School. Oh, um, And uh, I went out to the Michael Ellis School. I met Forrest, and, um, you know, we start, we clicked and got along right away, and we've, we've kept in touch, um, and he's been a really great friend of mine. Um, so... I've come out, I've gone out to see him at his place in Wisconsin for the last couple of years here. And, uh, he's come to stay with me in Maryland and I've stayed with him in California before he moved out there. Um, and he told me, this is when you should come so you can train with Chad Hunter. And, um, I had to, I had to Google him, <laughs> look, up, look up some YouTube stuff. Um, and, I'll tell you what, that was, uh, for a couple of reasons I'll explain in a second, it was a really, really great trip for me, though, and it really um, definitely pushed my training forward in a couple of ways, which I'll describe. Um, uh, to talk about the, the board and train dogs for a second, um, that is absolutely true. Uh, sometimes people do have trouble with me traveling with their dogs, um, but it's what I want to do with my life. So I want to travel in a van with a bunch of dogs and go see good trainers and go see friends and have cookouts and, you know, 
uh, hang out in beautiful locations and um, you know that's like uh, an easy decision for me to do that whenever at all possible and um, I just tell people that I will be traveling at some point when your dog is with me and I will take your dog with me wherever I go now sometimes I tell them that uh, you know that I'm going to another place like you know another state far away Um, and sometimes I tell them that I might just be traveling locally with their dog hey I'm going over to my friend's farm with your dog. I'm going to a pond. I'm going this and that. Your dog's going to be in the truck with me. So then if I go to West Virginia or if I go to New York for a weekend and maybe I shoot him a text, hey, we're in New York at my friend's farm this weekend training, nobody is, like, super surprised by that. Sure. Now, that dog Otto that I had with me, the German Shepherd, mm-hmm. um, who was super cool, and I actually um, – he like kept growing on me more and more and more the longer I had him. Um, but his mom got super concerned, right? She didn't see any pictures of him up on Facebook sure. or like or Instagram. And she texted me and she said, who watched Otto while you were away? Right. And so I sent I sent her a video of me walking Otto that one of you I think might have even taken while I was walking across the bridge into Menominee. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, and I was like, oh, he's with me. You know, don't like, sorry, don't get it twisted. Like he's here with me right now. Like I didn't leave him at home and go to Wisconsin. Um, I was even a little burned up about it. I was like. Don't you know, like, I take this very seriously, you know? Um, And, you know, I'm giving your dog life skills here, life experience, you know, traveling. Um, But I actually did something since I got back from that trip that I'm super excited about, like really, really, really excited about. And it feeds perfectly into what you're just talking about. I put a deposit down on a 2017 Ford Transit. You did it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Dude, totally custom, diesel, high top, long wheelbase, got like all the options, red with black interior. It's dope. Dude, that's killer. Congrats, man. Congrats. So I'm going to stack that thing up with dog crates and a bed and a sink and like. And come to Buffalo. Yeah, come four four hours out of your way. Yeah. Dude, that's yep. super cool. That's awesome. So more travel for me in the future is absolutely there. Awesome. Um, and uh, uh, what else? Oh, the French ring was funny. Uh, not funny. Um, I actually compete in a sport that's a little bit different. I compete in Mondio ring. Okay. Um, so Mondio ring is um, – some people call Mondio ring French ring light, which <laughs> – uh, there's probably I don't know um, I don't know what type of people listen to this podcast really, but probably weirdos and probably degenerates. Yeah, the tr- friends of ours. The truth about the truth My about Mondio, the truth about Mondio Ring is that there's only like a lovely lady 700 members in the entire United States of the U.S. Mondio Ring. Um, so the uh, United States Mondio Ring Association. My member number was like 600. So <clears throat> I think that. There's probably not that many. Yeah. <laughs> and I only joined like two years ago. So, um, 
but so Mondio Ring is a sport where there's 17 exercises in the in the highest level. There's a there's three levels, level one, two, and three that you can compete in. You have to complete two level one trials, two level two trials in order to get to a level three trial. And in the level three, there are 17 exercises, which are there's uh, seven obedience exercises, three jumping exercises, and seven bite exercises, protection-based exercises. Um, and that is very similar. They are very similar in setup to French ring with uh, some uh, probably important but very minor rule changes. Um, I am not an expert on the French ring rules, and um, but I do know that there are many things that are very, very much the same. Um, and so... In order to uh, in order to get good decoy work, so in order to get people to catch my dog, um, I've traveled many, 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 many miles. Like in the past, sure. um, it's not even uh, it's not even funny to be honest. I've put um, I'd say probably just for the sake of training Rhino, my competition dog, I've probably put uh, you know twelve thousand miles on my truck this year. Yeah. Right. Um, so knowing that there was going to be a really good guy, a really good decoy, and that I was going to be able to get some good work with my dog and hang out with Forrest, right, it was a no-brainer to come out there and train with them. Um, and it really did, like, uh, do wonders for my training. The reason is I brought my, um, I brought my friend with me, this guy Ryan, yeah. Um, and you guys met Ryan. Uh, he uh, super, super motivated kid. Uh, really nice. Uh, super positive. He just wants to train dogs all day, every day, right? <laughs> um, and um, he is the guy who trains, who trains with me most frequently. So we were having a experience problem where he just didn't have enough dogs to work. Yeah. to get to the experience level that he needed to get to. And coming with me for that week was absolutely the single best thing that could have happened for my dog, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, he learned some he learned some skills and some techniques that he can bring home and now work with me and my dog at home. Awesome. Right? So, yeah, there is, I got so much out of that seminar, uh, including uh, two budding friendships. Yeah, man. And, Aww, <laughs> you're so um, cute. Actually, a couple more. I actually I made a couple more friends on that trip. That's what's so cool about traveling, going to seminars, things like that. Just the people you meet. It's my favorite thing in the world is to meet new people, make new friends. It's got a network all over the United States of people that I like hanging out with. Yeah. So if I'm traveling through that area, you better believe I'm going to hit them up and be like, hey, you know, like you want to train this weekend? Can you guys hang out? You want to go out to dinner? Yeah. That's the way it should be, man. Absolutely. That's right. It's a good life. That's very cool. That's as a so, you know, I as my background is certainly not in any sort of sport work. Um, what what brought out what brought me out to Wisconsin was. Interestingly enough, I took Forrest's Healer's Toolbox courses on Learberg. And um, he he had known Josh prior to me entering the course, and Josh had talked to him and said, like, you know, 
this is Dave. He's kind of my apprentice. Make sure you give him a lot of bullshit and that sort of thing. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> I was treated very poorly in the course. I'm going to leave a four-star review. Um, five if he was nicer. But uh, during the, you know, during a lot of the live chats, um, some of the people were just way off topic. So obviously the course is the healer's toolbox. Questions should be about healing um, and that sort of thing, competition healing. And people were just like, so how do I deal with my dog who's leash reactive? How do I deal with, like, you know, my dog's being really aggressive in the home? And, you know, Forrest most certainly knows how to deal with that, but he was just kind of like, well, you know, why don't you talk to Dave? Because that's what he does all day long. Basically, he was probably just like, you shut the fuck up. I like, <laughs> let's talk about healing. So then there was that one live chat. I remember I talked for, like, 45 minutes of the hour answering questions, and he was, it was just... I felt like an asshole because people are there to talk to Forrest, and I'm he's just like, yeah, I'm going to mute myself and turn Dave's mic on. It's like, oh, That's boy. hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, it was real cool. Real cool. No pressure or anything. A bunch of people that have no idea who I am are like, hey, help me talk to my dog a little bit better. Well, yeah, sure. Right. So then one day I just got a text message. Um, I was like, hey, man, come down to Wisconsin in July. Josh is going to come. And I was like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> and then he goes, it's Forrest. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm thinking, I was like, who the fuck is Forrest? Oh, oh, gotcha, that Forrest. And I was like, ah, fuck, all right, whatever. And, you know, I actually had zero idea why we were going to Wisconsin. Like, nobody, the morning we were leaving, I picked Josh up at 4 o'clock, and he goes, you didn't get the email about the seminar? It's like, no, actually, I didn't get the email about the seminar. I didn't know there was a seminar, actually. <laughs> so as I got bit in the dick by your dog, I just immediately rethought my entire existence. Uh, you were like, the next day, yeah, you're, you're in the car at 4 a.m. I don't know what's going on. Literally, by lunchtime that day. No, no, it was the next day. Yeah, the next day. By, there, there's... by lunchtime the next day, I was like... Dude, put a cup on. You have to. <laughs> yeah. He goes, you didn't bring a cup? I'm like, no, nah, I didn't know I was going to be getting bit in the dick by Rhino. <laughs> I didn't know that was a, a, you know, I didn't know the potential for dick biting was there. Yeah. I knew. You I had a cup. If you don't pivot, Rhino will bite you center mass. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's yeah. going to happen. That's going to happen. Um, it's really hard to, like, catch the dog there, too. Like, it's hard to, like, move with his momentum if he hits you right in the center. Like, you got to really try at that. Yeah, that was a, a whole different experience. And I had a, you know, my, so my introduction to Elzer, for example, was watching this dude prance next to Forrest. And then my next introduction to Elzer was him biting me when we weren't working. And then him <laughs> fucking ripping me down off of my feet and blowing my knee up. And I was like, all right, this is really cool. I'm going to keep doing this. Dude, Elzer is a serious dog, man. I love that dog. Um, and uh, he's actually, I've got some of the same genetics in my dog. Um, so uh, basically, um, the e-litter, the e-litter from Loup de Soleil uh, is a repeat litter of, or well, no, the h-litter is a repeat litter of the e-litter. And um, Elzer is an e-litter dog, so is Andy, Forrest's other, other dog. And the h-litter dogs, um, uh, my dog's mother was an age litter dog um, and my dog is not nearly as strong as Elzer um, I mean you can tell me I don't know if you you know but uh, I'm pretty sure that Elzer um, 
Elzer's much more intimidating in a lot of ways. Uh, he's just like he's got a big head. He's strong, just so strong, um, and it's just like more intimidating. He's more intimidating dog. I think Physically, maybe because Rhino's Elzer's fluffy. Bigger. Yeah. Physically, Elzer's bigger. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's much bigger. Yeah, he's probably about. He's probably got like. 12 pounds it's a big 12 pounds though you know what i mean yeah. like it's a stocky dude on rhino um yeah and i think rhino just doesn't look as mean because he's fluffy too <laughs> he's got more hair he's like, a, like tufts of hair going on it's like, he's, not, he's, not, he's just not scary um but uh that's funny so um what uh yeah, did you have you bought a Malinois yet? I mean, you know, you were pretty excited about uh, about bite sports when you were out there. Has, is that kind of faded? No, or? no, no, no. It's uh, I'm I'm looking at a bunch of different kennels because you called one of your friends for some Dutchie puppies, and uh, one of my coworkers, Barb, is is on the lookout for some nice kennels. She found some some nice Malinois in Toronto, but I wasn't necessarily, you know set on a Malinois, it's pretty hard to convince the significant other. (laughs) Like, hey, let's get one of these. And she's like, I want a dog that I can chill with. I'm like, well, we already got a nutty pity, so like, why don't we just add a fucking crazy Malinois to the mix? I'm okay with it, but, you know. But ultimately, I'm, you know, I'm, my plan is to reach out to Forrest and be like, you know, hey man, like, you know, what, uh, do you know any good breeders for some Dutchie puppy? Yeah. And, you know, my goal is to shoot for 2017, early 2017, to get some some time in. I actually, I actually have another name that I could give you. We can talk about it off. Uh, off. I can give you a, another name. that I just didn't think about it until right this second um, for Dutchies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll put it out there in the world that, uh, that, we're lo- that we're thinking about one and looking for one. We'll see what kind of – what floats our way. But um, you're sure. absolutely right about – well, kind of your response to yeah, your significant other kind of um, wanting a dog to chill with, and uh, sometimes it it can be stressful to have um, a Malinois if you uh, do not have management systems in place. Um, <laughs> if it, you know, I have um, so I have uh, two of my own dogs, uh, Spike, who's uh, eleven and a half year old. Pitbull and uh, Rhino is coming on three. He's my male Malinois, um, and he is a dick. <laughs> he, is, he is a dick. Um, he is. He's certainly a uh, dick biter. Mm-hmm. He's a dick biter. Yeah, he's, uh, for sure. He's, he's uh, unfortunately. Um, he has some pretty significant. Uh, maybe not significant, but he has some pretty consistent male-on-male dog aggression. Um, He kind of would only... He would only not go after another male dog if they were to walk around him kind of, you know, like at half height with their ears back and their head down to the ground. Like, if you aren't walking like that around him, he's not happy. Like, um, so... um, Muzzle fences, extra pens, leashes, commands. These are all things that my dog needs to be safe and content in an environment, right? Um, Now, I can put him out with 15 females. I can even put him out with kind of a bossy female. He won't do anything 
He has no interest in starting trouble with females. He has no interest in starting trouble with puppies. But if you are over nine months old and a male and you don't, like, kind of walk with the correct reverence to him, he's starting a fight, you know? All hail um, right now. <laughs> but, uh, if, yeah, you guys know all about that type of behavior. So, um, uh, but other than that, just his total energy level is hard to manage in the house. Sure. So, um, I tell people all the time, I tell clients, they're like, oh, man, that dog is great. You know, I would love to have a dog like that. And I'm like, he's under command right now. Like, he's always I've, under I've, command. I've told him to lay down, and he knows that that, uh, that downstay is under aversive control. Yeah. And that I will make him stay down if he tries to get up. So he's not going to move. But the minute I let him go, this dog is going, he's a pinball man. A million miles an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just, he's uh, 10 to 15 different locations in probably the span of two seconds in your house. Um, if a normal dog, I tell people normal dogs sleep about 20 hours a day, right? Um, so I said, uh, and Rhino sleeps probably about 12 hours a day. And for the other eight hours a day, he's running in circles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Running in circles, yeah, just circles, like constantly, um, and it's not cute a lot of times, and it's not that fun, and you kind of got to deal with it. Um, if he doesn't get like run until he passes out every day, he's not fun to have in the house. Yeah, right. So that's definitely something for people to think about when they're like, "Oh, I want a high drive dog." He's high drive all the time. Yeah, that's not something that goes away, and I think people really don't always recognize that is, uh, you know, that doesn't dissipate easily. I think pinball is a wonderful way to talk about it. Uh, (laughs) I personally don't have a Malinois. Um, I don't have a great desire for a Malinois. I wouldn't really suggest it. (laughs) I have what I call a mini Malinois, which is a Patterdale. She's way easier to handle because I can pick her up and set her places without a problem. Uh, But crazy high energy level. And the type of dog that just pinball style bounces off of everything in your home. Um, But there's a lot of people that will see a guy like you with Rhino, who's super well behaved when he's under control. You know, you've done a stupendous amount of training with this dog. But then the average person sees you with Rhino, sees me with Seif, Patterdale, Dave with his high drive, high energy pity. Like, oh, I want one of those. Because they want what they think is like this active companion of which they go home and the dog goes to sleep and just like enjoys their time together not necessarily realizing the type of commitment of which they're taking on with those dogs. So it's uh, it's always funny for me when people say, like, oh, man, I would love to have one of those. Like, no. Uh, no. You would, you would actually hate having one of these dogs. <laughs> you know? terrible. I love yeah. him, but fuck him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think pinball is a good word, and then, like, crackhead. Yep. Crackhead's a good yeah. word. They've got yeah. that, like, oh, that head over like, toes stutter when they're walking. Like, I gotta go, I gotta go. Like, just fuck it. How many times do you find yourself just sitting there and be like, just fucking chill, dude. Just chill. Uh, a couple times a day. A couple yeah. times a day. Um, and I use that word with him. Chill. Yeah. yeah. Chill. Chill, you know? Um, 
I also taught him my, fa- my pretty much my favorite command, and a command that gets used a lot in the house is "fuck off." Oh yes, yeah, yes. always, hundred percent. Yep. Homeboy's um, back there with his ears perked up. My mom will be over. My mom is like super proper, like you know, businesswoman for years and years, whatever, and uh, uh, she'll be like. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I said, you got to say it, Ma. You got to say him. it. And I'll, she won't say it. I have to say it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be like, Ryan, fuck off. Fuck off. Yeah. Like, family uh, yeah, functions. He'll, he'll go, he'll roll out and like just kind of look at you from across the room. He'll be like, can I come back over yet? Can I come back <laughs> over yet? Can I come back over yet? Have I fucked off kinda, long enough yet? Or Yeah. That foot feathering that you were talking about is absurd. Yeah. So, um... I mean, it's like a it's like a short circuit in their brain or something. It's like just Great like movie, keeps Mike. like tripping over and over and Fantastic. over again until they're just like so jacked up. They look like yeah, it's insane, man. They're crazy. They're totally totally nuts. I wouldn't suggest uh, a Malinois for anyone who wasn't uh, first of all who wasn't a good dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, didn't have either a sport or a farm. I refer to him a lot of times as the dog trainer starter kit. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. They'll teach you. They'll teach you. <laughs> yeah. They'll teach the you where all the holes you. in your game are. Yeah. You're going to learn real <laughs> quick. So I want to kind of like change gears here real quick. When we were in Wisconsin, you did an interview with me. So I was hoping you'd take some time and kind of discuss kind of what your project's about and where you're hoping to take it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've watched that interview a couple times and... Um, deleted it? In, no, I didn't delete it. No, I haven't actually synced the, uh, uh, the audio and the visual yet, so I just was watching the... Uh, the visual with the camera audio, um, which was less than desirable, but I also <laughs> listened to the audio by itself and it's good. I just haven't, haven't edited it together yet. But, um, so that project, it, it's changed as it's gone. Like so many things that we do, um, it's kind of an amorphous, uh, kind of thing that's taking on of its own. And so, um, it is a video project, which, uh, the final format, right this minute, the final format goal is a documentary type, um, a documentary type film, and uh, the length is undetermined, and the, um, I guess you'd say, uh, the velocity or the like, the direction is undetermined too, um, because I don't have. A, I don't have like a real agenda in terms of what information I'm trying to get across to people. The most important thing to me is that I find a way that I can give information that I perceive and that I see in the world around me, specifically pertaining to other dog trainers and how they live, how I can give that information to regular people. So there's a bit of a problem and we've talked about it a little bit already on this podcast in there's differences between how you and I communicate and how we communicate with a 
a dog owner who is not a dog trainer. Um, and what those people perceive as uh, possibilities in their dog's life, uh, and what those people see as um, like reasonable expectations, and what we see as reasonable expectations. Um, and in some ways, I think that some people would be surprised at how I live in my house with my dogs and how much control I put into place. I use X-Pens, I use puppy gates, I use crates, I use, um, you know, separate yards in my backyard, I have uh, leashes, I have tie-outs on the bottom of uh, the bottom of a metal table, I've got a leash attached to it, I've got, you know, um, and I think that um, a lot of other dog trainers have a lot of these things also, a lot of these management things in place. Um, and what I'm trying to do is kind of just gather a um, uh, kind of like a general outline of how professionals live with their dogs in their home. Um, the, uh, the dynamic stuff uh, is mostly the B-roll. <laughs> so, um, you know, seminars that I attend or uh, or even just dog training lessons and this and that and dogs doing fun stuff. But the interview pieces are the most amazing to me. Like um, just allowing somebody the opportunity to talk about something that a lot of people don't ask them about. Like, um, And some of the things that you and I talked about were – I don't want to really give any, I don't want to give any of my like actual questions away yet, but, um, just some of the things that, uh, we talk about, I think give people a window into, uh, how we live with our dogs and hopefully that they understand what's reasonable for them too. Um, and you know, the project, uh, project has, like I said, has changed a little bit over the course of its, uh, run so far. Um, and um, I've, I've kind of, I guess it's become focused and at the same time uh, less focused. Like I've kind of decided what I want to do in terms of what I want to capture in terms of I want to capture these interviews, but I've become less interested in finding an actual point. I don't need the actual point anymore i just kind of want to see what people say yeah i just want to want to capture that and then i just want to give that to people in a format that they that hopefully is interesting enough to them that it captivates their attention for 45 minutes or whatever an hour and um and they sit there they watch it and your regular average dog owner uh hopefully gets something out of it like you know what i'm gonna try a little bit harder with my dog uh i'm gonna call a dog trainer I'm going to go on a run with my dog. I'm going to exercise my dog today. Whatever. Hopefully one person, you know, hopefully one person goes out on a run with their dog after they watch it, like some regular person. Hopefully one person calls a dog trainer and says, you know what? I've waited too long. I need help. You know? Um, so that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of my goal for the project, for that particular project. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping. I'm hoping it turns out well, uh, and no matter what, I know that all the people who are involved in it are going to enjoy seeing when it's finished. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, I had I had a really good time. 
uh, when we we hung out in Wisconsin and just kind of talked about some of the stuff that I think it's almost like a you know, a lot of my really good friends are tattooers and they're probably only ever asked certain types of questions by other tattooers because you and I never, we're not, even though we're, we're tattooed and, and Dave's got tattooed, like we've all spent hours under the needle. <clears throat> we're not a part of that world to the same degree that they are. We're there for a few hours at a time. We go home. That's their life, you know? So there's, there's probably things that tattooers talk about that, even their friends aren't going to be able to ask him because we don't know. And I, and I thought that was really interesting, the perspective you were looking for when you were asking me some of those questions. I had, I had a really good time. It was cool. And I think sometimes you get a good understanding of somebody else as a person, not just by their answers to questions, but the questions they ask you. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And I, I had a really good time with that. Do you have a name for your project yet? Um, yeah, but I can't, I don't want to talk about it yet. Well, I appreciate, I think you know the name too, but I'm appreciate that you asked and didn't say it. Um, but we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. You, I actually, I actually got tattooed today. Oh, did you? No shit. Yeah, I got, I don't know if you can see it. All right, yeah. It's, um. Looks like some pine trees. yeah, exactly. It's an outline so far, but uh, it's a it's a mirror reflection down here of pine trees and up top um, some other type of like uh, spruce and other types of uh, evergreens. Um, coniferous trees. Coniferous. Yeah. There you go. What were you <laughs> gonna say, Dave? Sorry. Uh, I was gonna suggest that you do drive four hours out of your way because when I was photographing Jeff, Forrest, and Josh, uh, you were nowhere to be found in order to join my project because uh you know you were busy doing your thing and uh we, we all tend to you know i you're probably a lot like me and probably a lot like josh in that when you put your mind even if whatever you're thinking of is merely just like a thought you're like you know what i should probably just go all in and dedicate all of my time to that one thought <laughs> right like yeah. you, you haven't decided on it but you definitely decided on it Oh yeah. So uh, no, I'm with I'm with you on that. Um, you know that's funny because uh, yeah, like this project wasn't easy to get off the ground. It started out as uh, I started working with a production company, um, a local production company here uh, on like a TV show pilot, and the pilot was a it was about me hanging out with other dog trainers, right? And it was like that was. You know, not the pilot. That was like basically the show premise, whatever. Um, but the production company that I worked with, man, just like kind of jerked me around for a year. Like they got me under contract and just kind of like put me on a shelf. And I finally decided. I said, you know what? I'm gonna do it myself. So I, I uh, was waiting for my one year to be up with them. Right when it was about time, I called them up. I said, hey, when's the exact date of our contract ending? You know, I'd like to get out of the contract as soon as it's over or whatever. Um, he said he told me the date, which was, you know, it was, uh, I think, actually, I think it was prior. It was like a two, two days prior. I was right on the money. And uh, I went out and promptly spent way too much money on a, on a really nice camera, <laughs> a tripod, 
and like a bunch of mics and like all this stuff and I bought like a, you know editing software on the computer and blah, blah, blah. and I get home and I got all the boxes I'm looking at the camera and I was like just like holding my head I was just like oh <laughs> no oh, what I do like, dude how do you even turn this thing on like I don't know how to use a camera are you kidding me so I got some really good help here in Baltimore I got a young guy who, who got out of film school maybe three four years ago he's been doing small projects and he got on with me and he's been like gung-ho about every project I've thrown at him and we've done some other media projects he's making like a, a profile piece type commercial type thing for me um so we can start uh we're gonna go out and look for sponsorship for some other stuff um but uh and he showed me how to use the camera he said this is this is what we're gonna shoot it in and this is how you set it up and this is how you set your tripod up and you want to don't cut people off at joints right like definitely don't do that don't Right. Don't cut. Don't cut somebody. Don't cut the picture. Uh, don't frame it so that the cut the bottom of the picture is right at their knees or this. Uh, gave me some like pointers on things like that, and I was like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna go film some people now." Right? <laughs> um, and that was maybe like six months ago, and I did you know I did you know uh, three or four interviews and um, filmed a bunch of other stuff that had nothing to do with dogs and just kind of get used to the camera. Um, but just doing it yourself, um, first of all, it was, it was overwhelming, but at the same time, really exciting. Yeah. Like, really exciting to say, you know what? I'm not going to wait for somebody. I'm going to do this myself. They're not interested. Guess what? I'll put my money into it, you know? And so um, I called my accountant and asked if I could write off all the camera equipment and stuff, which I could from a business. So. I was like, all right, let's buy it. <laughs> yeah, and that's like, sure. uh, so that's an absolute like passion project for me. Um, and like I said, there's some other projects that I want to work on too, but uh, we'll get this one, we'll get this one pumped out first. We'll get this one pumped out first. My goal is to, was to start and, and finish it within two years. That was my goal. Okay. Uh, that's not a fast goal, but I have a full-time job. I have a real life I compete with my dog, whatever. Um, be nice if I got it done within a year, but you know, might not happen. Um, but anyway, yeah. One of the best beers I've ever drank in my entire life was aged for 15 years. So sometimes you just gotta wait, man. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear that. I can hear that. I don't think I was ready to go off on my own and start this, start my business, start my dog training business until I did. When yeah. I, was tw- I was about 25. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had I had 35 jobs. Yeah, man. Before I before I started my company, <clears throat> I do not I do not work well under a boss. You know, somebody telling me what to do is not a good place for me. We well, were talking um, about that uh, like nervousness and excitement. You know, I um. I recently stopped working for somebody else and uh, doing my own thing under my own flag now, and, and I'm super stoked on it. It's it's most certainly, when you take that first step, uh, it, it is nerve-wracking. You know? No longer am I just getting a paycheck you know, rolling in. Now it's, you know, the sky's the limit for me, but also... I gotta make sure I'm I'm buying my own food and shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I I am my own my own master to a certain extent, which 
is incredibly exciting, but it's also really nerve-wracking when you first make that step. So hella love to you, man, for, for jumping into that project. You know, it's, it's something that I think those are the projects that yield super, super work. The ones that are scary. The ones that are safe, who cares? I'd say that um, uh, every great success in my life has come from a great risk. Um, you know, when I uh, I started this company is simultaneously when I got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the jobs that I was working previous to getting sober were not con- not conducive to sobriety right sure. um so it's like um it's okay to drink and you know whatnot at the jobs where i was working and the co-workers would be doing that so not really a good place for me to be um and when i when i first got uh when i first got sober and i started this company um, I was not in a, in a good place financially or spiritually or anything else. And kind of like as I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, as I kind of you know, rose from the ashes of my like, you know, kind of previously destructed persona, um, the business also simultaneously was growing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that first year, um, the first six months of my first year in business, uh, I was on food stamps. Um, I was bumming about half of my rent money off my mother on a monthly basis. Um, I had, um, you know, a really, really beat up old Volkswagen that was hand me down from my father. Uh, after he passed away, I kind of like snatched up his like old Volkswagen station wagon. Um, the windows were duct taped up. There was duct tape around the sunroof and smoke was coming like through the vents into the engine compartment. Like it was not, it was not a good situation. (laughs) Right. Um, and two years later I bought my home, which is crazy bought a whole house (laughs) like um like really like rose from the ashes and that like felt so good to do that the uh all in one day i got the most amazing thing happened like or the most amazing things happened all in one day which was um i got a call from my realtor telling me that my offer had been accepted on my house uh, I got a call from Lindsay Sommer, who's a dog trainer, and she bred some dogs. And she said, hey, I've got a fluffy male Malinois puppy with your name on it if you want it. And I had asked her about six months prior to please, please, please hold me a puppy. And I had no, no timing. I had no idea that it was coming. And on that same day, I got uh, the most amazing client that I could have gotten, which was... Um, uh, Kevin and DJ Plank, who are, they own uh, Under Armour. Oh, no shit. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so all in one day, okay? And I was in a new truck, too. I'm driving in a new truck that I bought, like, a couple months before. I'm driving down the road, driving down the main road in Baltimore. It's called Charles Street. Screaming at the top of my lungs, 
No one's in the car. I'm just like, Woo! <laughs> fuck yeah! Like this is the best day ever. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps. I got goosebumps right now, man. Just um, everything. Just as soon as I pushed it, this is the beautiful part of it. I pushed it towards dogs, and everything. Just my entire life turned around. I always loved the dogs and I was always training dogs, but Hey, once a week on Monday nights or, you know, I'd go to the, go to the dog club or I'd go to the Schutzen club or this or that. And once I devoted seven days a week to it, my life like just bloomed like a lotus, man. That's so <laughs> like, cool, just man. amazing. Amazing. That was one of the yeah. most in, uh, interesting things. Well, I don't know. Interesting might not be the right word, but for me, when we were sitting down at, uh, what the hell is that diner called? Log Jam. Log Jam. Well, no, log it wasn't. Jam. <laughs> Fucking, it wasn't Log Jam. It was the other one where we had breakfast a few times. We went in there and oh. had lunch, and, you know, we were all sitting, we were all, you know, five of us cramped up at this little table, and, uh, it, and Ryan was just like, you know what, man? Fuck it. I'm gonna go home and quit my job and become a dog trainer. And I was like, fuck, dude, that's perfect, because we were... You know, he was in that. I was in that position a couple of years ago. So, and then to see the, the different golden levels, leaf, golden leaf, yes, some good ass sandwiches, by the way. The um, best sandwiches, for real. <laughs> a little bit more meat. They could have had a little bit more meat, but they were really good. You could have tossed me another <laughs> slice of ham on that bitch, but whatever. We'll, we'll save that for a different podcast. We'll get the owner. Uh, but to see, you know, to see where I was two years ago, he was there, and then. A couple, you know, five years down the road, there's there's Josh, then there's you, then there's Forrest. To see that kind of experience and to for all of you guys to be like, yeah, man, I remember when I was ready to quit my job at the bank and become a dog trainer. <laughs> it was just, it was something else. It was like, oh, shit. So, like, you mean we all have a very, very similar experience in getting into this? You just kind of like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it was a... Uh, it was certainly an, an inspirational trip for it seems like all of us. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they should be, man. These trips, they should be like that. Every trip, you know, you got to learn something about yourself, learn some, learn something about the world, and meet some new people. Absolutely. I agree, dude. So uh, before we wrap this up, anything you wanted to ask us? Anything you wanted to talk about specifically? Well, I definitely. Like I asked just real quick, I asked if, it kind of jokingly if either of you was going to get a Malinois. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess one thing would be that's something that, that happened to me, which is uh, when I started looking at protection sports uh, really seriously and looking at drive and manipulating drive and um, super, super motivated dogs when they're keyed up like that and noticing what you can do to change change their direction or this or that um and that has an absolute correlation into, into pet work um if i can if i can control my dog around a decoy which my dog wants to decoy he wants to buy the decoy more than anything in the entire world if he still listens to me in the presence of that decoy there is nothing else in the entire world that will ever distract him from me right there's no deer, there's no rat, there's no rabbit that he won't turn around and run back to me if I say his name, right? Um, so I guess what I would want to know, really, 
is did your experience there or did your experience there start up some kind of research or kind of thinking on your own that has influenced some of your pet dog training or some of your daily life with your dog since you've been back? Well, okay, I'll go for it. Yeah. Um, For me in particular, I had a conversation with Forrest about just using the pressure of an e-collar. So at one point he was telling Ryan while he was healing with Gator to tap the e-collar while he rewarded Gator. And immediately, as a pet dog trainer, I thought to myself, what the fuck? (laughs) I'm like, why am I doing, like, what what am I doing? And then I I thought about it for a few days, and uh, we were in, at Learburg, we were at the training facility, and I went over and talked to him about it, and and I thought about it, and you know, I I tell people all the time, e-collar is a motivational tool. Right, and it. I asked Forrest, I'm like, why would you know? Why are you tapping while you reward here and there? Um, he referred to Daniel Tortoro's book, you know, uh, which I have yet to read. Shame on me. I got other shit to do, like read Susan Garrett's shit. Um, but yeah, I started. That's a must read. Yeah. Yeah. I started doing that with my dog, and you know, th- present that hope that you know the, the motivation doesn't have to be to go and obey the place command, the down command. The motivation is there to bite shit. My dog loves to bite shit. If I let him go in the woods, he will find something and just bite it, just because. Right. That's what. Good boy. I'm like, yeah, that's what he does. He grabs shit and smashes it. Right. I had him on a private lesson today. And I put him in a down so I could use him as a distraction. And what did he do? He found a log and just bit it. Like, I'm like, all right, dude, like, whatever. So I've been using that to release him on my leg sleeve, uh, you know, tapping it with the release. And it's, it's really an interesting concept to me that I, I don't know if I necessarily fully understand yet. And um, it's really inspired me to get to use that and start using a, a pet dog's drive more to my advantage you know, working with smaller dogs, especially I get, a, I get a lot of smaller dog, tiny dog clients, like little schnauzers. And I had one client whose little schnauzer loved to bite the fuck out of the little tug. So I was like, well, why aren't we like, why aren't we using this? And yeah. she was like, well, it, it's scary to play with him because he might bite me. I'm like, well, I mean, if you're afraid of this, like 13 pound dog, like we got other shit to worry about, but like, let your dog have some fun, and let's use that to our advantage. Like, let's yeah. show him that if he hangs out on place for 20 minutes, like, I'll let you beat the fuck out of something, man. Because that's fun. That's what you want to do. So, I, so, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was just I was, gonna... So that's 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 awesome. Um, and yeah, Forrest is amazing. Precision obedience. Um, there's, I think he's the best in the business. Um, he really studies it and he's not afraid to uh, try new things or to um, you know piggyback off of uh, off of some of the greats um, and I believe that uh, he's got like an awesome program um, that e-collar the stimulation upon release there uh, pairing it with a release word um, is really cool and in protection and in like some drive work is really helpful in a lot of different situations. Um, you know, I like I do it in pet dog work also in different places, uh, specifically um, 
I'll do it on a recall when the dog might uh, might be say you know 95% responsive on the on her recall, um, and the dog might not fail while I'm there. The dog might not fail in that one hour that I'm there. So I'll turn the e-collar down super low and let the dog know what to do when they do feel that stimulation, which is turn around and run back. So you say, come, tap, and the dog's already turning. It's inherently slightly unfair uh, because you're giving the dog uh, stimulation, right? right? But we're doing it at such a low level that I don't consider it a punishment. I just consider it stimulation. So if I stimulate the dog, I pair the, uh, the turning towards me with the, with the stimulation and immediately present the reward, um, it all becomes like supercharged. That one behavior, that turn, that quick head turn, spin straight back to me becomes supercharged. Um, I would not recommend that for like novice trainers at all but um if you have a good grasp of your dog and a good grasp of an e-collar some of that stuff's fun to mess around with i liken it a lot of times to like um if you and i are at the gym together and this is probably not a good because we would never you don't work out like with weights right <laughs> so um you think i fucking but, look this good without weights look at that <laughs> no look at that yeah um so if you're about to you're about to do a do like a big lift, you're about to do a deadlift or something like that, and I, re, I walk up behind you and slap you on the back. I'm like, get it, come on, get some, right? It can be slapping you can be arousing, can be exciting, can be like motivating, right? Right. So you have you know you've got any uh, you can use tools in a lot of different ways, man. That's almost infinite ways. Well, let's be clear. You're going to slap me on the ass when I do that weight. <laughs> That's – all right, so if you come to Baltimore, we're doing deadlifts. I got a gym in my basement, and I will slap your ass. I'll be like, go get them, Tiger. <laughs> oh! For sure arousing. Uh, yeah. I guess uh, the thing for me that I took away from that trip to Wisconsin – was not as specific to technical applications of dog training as it was to just kind of reinvigorating my my love for the culture, to be honest. Um, now, that being said, I did buy a bite suit while I was there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you did? Shit, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that bright pink Kura suit at my house right now. Um, nice. And I went and visited a guy in Syracuse, which is about two hours, two and a half hours from my house, uh, Ben Allenson, super nice dude, does French ring. And uh, I was only out there once so far. The two and a half hours is just kind of tough to swing on a regular basis. But, um, you know, he offered to teach me as much as he can about French ring sport and catching dogs. And I'm pretty stoked on that. So from from that aspect of dog training, yeah, it's, it's something that, again, is just kind of reinvigorated my interest in that particular aspect of dog training but more so it uh it again just reminded me how much i i think i value the culture of dog trainers and how important a lot of of you fuckers have been in my life um you know there was a lot of times where it was basically you, me, Ryan, Forrest, and Dave hanging out, shooting the shit, relaxing, talking dogs, and just 
kind of doing our own thing that I've kind of missed for a while. You know, I haven't been working around other dog trainers since, you know, like March, April of uh, 2016. And there's some of that camaraderie that I, I have definitely missed of people that I can connect with and kind of hang out with in, in a manner of which most other people just aren't really they're not that immersed in so, so I don't get that from them. so it most certainly left me feeling really good about the trip feeling that I made the right choice to go out there you know, I met a bunch of super cool people from Chad and his friend Justin but you know we spent a lot of time with you and Ryan and, and I had a really really great time hanging out with you guys and Forrest is always a blast he's a fucking goofball and uh, you know like Jeff and Marie we stayed with them we had a blast hanging out with them and for me, that was probably more so what I took away from that trip than any kind of technical thing was just reinvigorating my passion, my love to kind of create a bit of that camaraderie with, with some other dog trainers. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of people think that they assume they're like oh I bet you like dogs more than people you know yeah and I love dogs love dogs right um but uh people are my favorite animals Shit. you know like um and if you put me on like the top of a mountain with a whole gang of dogs if there were no people I had no human interaction I'd struggle yeah, for I'd sure. struggle, you know, uh, and I think most of us, if we're being really honest with ourselves, that's going to be the truth. Unless you're like super anti-social like person, right? Yeah, um, I but tend dogs to find... bring us back to people. Dogs bring us back to people. One hundred percent, I agree with you. And like competing with my dog Rhino, you know, we competed uh, like maybe I think five times um, this uh, this spring. We went, uh, we traveled a few times to compete and we, uh, we went to, uh, went to the national championship for Mondio ring. Um, and, um, we didn't, we did not get a podium spot, but, uh, just going there, I met, I, I probably have hundreds of new contacts across the country, uh, since going to the national championship, you know, awesome. um, and yeah, meeting people like you meeting people like you, Dave, um, and like watching that that love like Ryan has, watching that love like you have, like do it, yeah, do it, yeah. do it. For I want sure. you to take that next step. Like I can't wait to hear about whatever your facility, your board and trains, your new program, whatever. Like that stuff gets me going so much. Like other people's success, I want like all my friends, all the dog trainers want everybody to be super successful and happy and share in this like awesome, amazing thing that we have. I totally, totally with that. Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. And look, I know Marie is probably not ever going to listen to this, but if you are Marie, nobody makes a bed better than you. (laughs) Holy fuck. That bed was tight. Marie is righteous. That lady's awesome. That's funny. Her and Jeff are, uh, are killer, man. I, I would. We want to get Jeff on the podcast. You know, his dad is really, you know, kind of the the well known face of Learbird. But Jeff's been kind of pulling the strings and running the show for quite some time now. So uh, we're gonna try and get him on here <clears throat> at some point. But uh, 
we're going to wrap this up, my man. So how can people get a hold of you? They want to you know, touch base. They want to keep an eye on your super secret projects. How do they, how do they track you down? Um, well, so I've got um, a website is Carter Wild, C-A-R-T-E-R-W-I-L-D-E.com. Um, and can be reached on there through there. All my contact information is on there. Um, my big thing is uh, I love my Instagram account. So that's uh, at Carter Wild, same thing, C-A-R-T-E-R-W-I-L-D-E. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's the best way to get at it. Um, it's been cool, man. I'm really excited. I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's our pleasure, dude. Our Always. pleasure, 100%. And uh, if, if you're making that trip, you're going to – you're gonna get some pressure from the two of us to oh, swing through Buffalo. For sure. Uh, I did get a. Uh, somebody told me they want me to come to Connecticut already, and so a couple awesome. other people commented on that post, and I had some. I had like four people in Maine share it, so hopefully I'll get some private lessons here or there. And um, if if it ends up being um, like, you know, if people, if I don't have as much to do on that Monday or Tuesday, um, maybe I will shoot over and. Uh, as long as I get back to Baltimore by Tuesday night. So uh, it's like the 6th, I think. Uh, but, yeah, that would be super cool see where you guys are at. Um, I won't have my van yet, but I'm renting a van. All right. I'm just going to re- rent another oh, van. So. Seemed to work out well for you last time. Yeah. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I loved it so much. I can't – you know, I went home and bought one. It's going to be great. <laughs> Yeah, man. Awesome, dude. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, Dude, thank you. What do we do? Just sign off now?